Hey everybody, welcome to Comedy on Vinyl. Uh, this episode, we got to, that is to say, me and Alex Salem, who is an awesome friend of mine and very funny man, um, we got to sit down with Paul Zaloom, who played Beekman on Beekman's World, and is a political satirist and a puppeteer. He's just hilarious, and he wanted to talk about Paul, uh, Paul Buckley, really, and he wanted to talk about Lord Buckley. It was just one of the best times I've ever had doing anything. Um, it was just a lot of fun listening to a guy who Alex and I both admire talk about, you know, a comedian, or that is to say a performance artist who neither of us were insanely familiar with. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Um, this episode, we've got, um, a series of clips from one track. It wouldn't really help you at all to do multiple clips from multiple tracks because they're very long in general. Um, it's basically a, a guy... Lord Buckley is very hard to condense into a sentence, but uh, he did a lot of hipster speak from the 50s and 60s. Uh, that is to say, in the 50s and 60s, the hipster speak goes back to jazz speak of the 20s and 30s. And um, it's really great stuff. So I've got those clips throughout, and at the end I'm going to throw in a, a little clip of him uh, doing the hipster version of the funeral oration from Julius Caesar. It's really just uh, just some amazing stuff. So, uh, yeah, make sure you also check out Paul Zaloom's got a show coming up in Los Angeles here in February. I'll put more links up to it on the website. And uh, Alex has an awesome uh, sketch comedy show on YouTube called Viewers Like You TV. Uh, so, yeah, go to YouTube.com slash Viewers Like You TV. All one word, obviously. I hate when people say that stuff. Obviously, it's all one word. Sp spaces don't work. Anyway. Uh, yeah, enjoy that. Check out Paul's Loom stuff and enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome to Comedy on Vinyl. This week we have an amazing special guest, Paul Zaloom. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's I, my I, pleasure. I'm very excited. Um, Paul Zaloom, in case you people don't know out there, uh, was, at least in my childhood, Beekman, and then obviously uh, a uh, political satirist, puppeteer. You do a lot of things, so it's impossible to list them all, so I know, I, I know what that's like. And also, guesting yeah. with me is Alex Salem. Hello. For the first time. Loving it. Now you're committed, you have to come on to another episode. I'm, I'm down. I'm um, down. So you want to talk about Lord Buckley. Yeah. In general. I picked I picked this album, which is the Bad, bad Rapping of Marquis de Sade, because it's the only one I could find, but are there any special tracks on here that are favorites of yours? Or uh, My favorite is um, H-Bomb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's in two parts, and the first part is about uh, his theory about God, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's it's really funny, and it's very sort of, not profane, but I guess some people would find it sacrilegious, but it's actually very beautiful. Yeah. It's sort of this um, secular humanist mm -hmm. ideal that he expresses in such a great way. I mean, Buckley was a guy, he was a white guy, who combined black street language and phony, baloney English hootie tootie <laughs> bullshit yeah and um and combine those two things and plus this huge gamut of voices and sound effects that he was capable of making yeah and he reinterpreted um various myths and stories um like jesus of nazareth is called the naz <laughs> and um you know he does scrooge and um he had a thing about gandhi called the hip gone yeah or maybe it was called the spinning wheel i don't remember what it's called but uh He's known for those, and Mark Anthony's funeral oration from, right. um, you know, the Julius Seaver, yeah. Seizure. <laughs> Julius Seizure yeah. coming to the stage. Yeah, he had a heart attack, old Julius <laughs> Seizure. Um, but 
and Buckley, he was a guy who did work in the, he did like dance marathons in the 30s. And mm-hmm. they would have eight-hour shifts. And they would just do patter because um, the dance marathons would go on for days and days. And yeah. people would just dance for days and days. And they needed an MC, and, you know, and so he got to do enough patter and enough, he had enough time on the deck that he had, he had uh, a great deal of facility in front of a live audience. Yeah, yeah. When you say patter, you mean like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean, what am I, what do you mean exactly? He had to talk while the dancing was going on and make it interesting enough and dynamic enough that people would stick around to watch the marathon dancing. These were things where you would get a prize of a thousand bucks or something if mm-hmm. you were the last couple standing mm-hmm. and they would dance for days and they would fall asleep and the guy would hold the girl up and, you know, all of this. I mean, they were like torture. Mm-hmm. And um, and Buckley was an MC and would, you know, go on for hours. Yeah. And, and just, what, and just I don't know what about, but just, you know, yeah, that's what I, it just, just I getting, getting into it, just being able to, uh, go for that long and, and, and keep coming up with material. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane to me. I, I, I did, was he doing anything funny? Do we, do we know? I mean, yeah, it's not really, there's no tapes or, yeah. uh, anything of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but what, the thing that's amazing about Buckley for me as a performer and as a puppeteer yeah. is that. He's really good with voices yeah. and dynamics of voices. If you listen to H-Bomb, at the end, there's this part of the scene where uh, Kruski, I think he's called in the in the um, mm-hmm. routine, who's Khrushchev. Yeah. And then Molly comes in, and that's Molotov, right. the guy who the Molotov cocktail was named mm-hmm. after. And, um, uh, and the voices where... You know, oh, sir, is something wrong? What is it? What, 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 what? You know, to go mm-hmm. back and just, forth just between... Pop, pop in and pop out. yeah. And and it was an inspiration to me in my work where I wanted to make puppet shows. Mm-hmm. So I have a visual component, but sort of take that idea from Buckley of being able to turn on a dime with the right. voices and doing sound effects. And But just to get back to – Buckley is like – for me is like listening to uh, a great musician. Mm-hmm. Um, like a virtuoso musician mm-hmm. or seeing a virtuosic painting. Uh where the guy, everything he does is is perfect. Yeah. It's it. There's a certain perfection to it. He was he was such a master of being in front of an audience, and mm-hmm. he swung so deep, mm-hmm. and he manipulated the tempo and the timing of everything just right. beautifully. Yeah, it's jazz. It's very jazz. I mean, obviously not just not just the lingo, but yeah. it's very, it sounds a lot like jazz. And he played jazz venues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Hungry Eye and, you know, I yeah. think the, the Vanguard in New York and, mm-hmm. um, and he hung out with jazz musicians. Yeah. And, I was reading that, that, I guess that makes perfect sense given, I mean, and he, he was raised in Chicago, right? So, or is, is that, I thought I read that. I could be wrong. I, I, you know, I think he was raised in California. Oh, really? In oh, rural, okay. Red, in Redland or some crazy place. Okay. But I, you know, he spent a lot of time in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent a lot of time in L.A. Mm-hmm. and he spent time in New York. Yeah, um, and then other places, Vegas, and I, I'm assuming then he picked up the speech patterns from all the jazz places he hung out at. I mean, yeah. it's just so. Cause it, it, there, there's one thing I was thinking about listening to it. To a modern audience, because I always put clips in these. I know to a modern audience, they might listen to it. And initially, you say it's a white guy. They hear him doing a voice that's a quote unquote black voice. People are going to get offended if they don't understand that that's it's nothing to do with it's not it's not political. 
That's not, and it's not making fun of a voice, you know. Yeah, the, it sounds like just a natural, like his natural manifestation of, of of expressing those things. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, Buckley in some routine, which I don't remember which one it is, he talks about black people and his love of black people uh-huh. and the contribution that black people have made to American culture. You yeah. know, he and he's, he recognized that. The thing is. In the early 60s, there were rumblings from certain quarters about what he was doing was racist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he died before anything really mm-hmm. happened with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was some – like one of the routines he did was he would do Amos and Andy. Uh-huh. And he did that on early television, like 1947 okay. on TV. Okay. And, um, you know, Amos and Andy, they were uh, – I, th- I think in the earlier versions, they were played by guys in, in uh, blackface. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so – you know, and that's all like racist and crazy. And, sure. But the context that he was doing that in was really different than today. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think in a way it was really a tribute. But you know, it's it's. I guess it's it would be hard to make that argument. It, it, I think I think yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I don't either. <laughs> it, it it feels like a tribute. I think what you're saying, Jason, is it's it's it w- it would be how on earth would you try to pull that off today? Right, right. I guess that would be an issue. But that's yeah. kind of what. The purpose of satire, I, I suppose, is to get people's ire up and make them listen. Uh, even though it seems like he was just in general having fun, did it? It, it does. There, it does feel that way. He's achieving the effect of satire. If, but. if I listen to something like H Bomb, though, it's like it's so genuine that it's almost it's it's obviously satire, but it's soft satire in a way. It's so beautiful, and I, I don't you don't hear that or see that that often. I mean, is there something mm-hmm. about it specifically that's that's inspired you? Not just this piece, but just what he does satirically too. Well, in the in that piece, H uh, bomb, he does say, um, and I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to quote this right. Uh, it is the duty of the humor of any given nation in time of high crisis to attack the catastrophe that faces it in such a manner that it causes the people to laugh at it in such a way that they do not die before they get killed. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And that, yeah. that to me is sort of the essence of what Buckley, you know, what he does. Yeah. I, and the whole notion of, you know, getting people to laugh about what's going to kill them right. is uh, <laughs> is really great. It and is. that's yeah. been... Um, you know, I've quoted that often in interviews and stuff like mm-hmm. that because that's really what I've been interested in. That, and that that sentence, long and convoluted, uh, has really been a huge inspiration yeah. um, for making work. It gave me chills listening to it. I yeah. just I had never heard anybody condense something like that. I, I like I like what you're saying about it as a mission statement because you listen to the, the uh, bad rapping of Marquis right before it, and the, the there is definite a definite tone change. He definitely drops in for a lot more of H bomb where he's mm-hmm. just I- explaining it. Where I feel like he even he even sort of like steps down for a second and he's just talking to you and telling you his idea. Yeah, and you're 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 very drawn in. You're, mm-hmm. You, you jive with it. Is there anything out there? Because I, I, I couldn't find anything where we heard his natural speaking voice. And so I'm just curious how far off all that is from his natural speaking voice because... I think yeah. you can... you can If you look on YouTube, he mm-hmm. was on the Groucho Marx TV show. That's right. Oh. I didn't watch that. And uh, it reminds me a little bit of like Charles Ludlum being in that movie about New Orleans. It, it's like watching a gigantic figure mm-hmm. doing some penny ante thing and yeah. because groucho you know he was great the marx brothers were great sure. but but buckley 
literally and figuratively towered over him. Yeah. I mean, he was a very mm-hmm. tall man. Mm-hmm. He was like six, eight or so. I don't know how tall he was. Really tall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and um, and Groucho sort of plays the part on the show. It was this is your what you was bet the your show? Life? You bet your life. Yeah. And Groucho kind of plays the straight man right. or sort of, you know, the the David Susskind role or, you know, sure. Charlie Rose or something. And, um, you know, makes jokes and shit. Of but, course, but... but And Buckley does some of his routine okay. uh, on that thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he you see him and he's so statuesque and, mm-hmm. you know, he's really, you know, he's yeah. very dignified. And mm-hmm. he got the whole, you know, he does the whole thing, Lords and Ladies of the Royal Court, and calling uh-huh. himself Lord Buckley. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you would be Prince Jason or mm-hmm. whatever, or, you know, Duke of, you know, he, everyone was a royal member of the royal okay. family. And apparently that happened because he had gotten his hands on an elephant robe from a circus uh-huh. and, you know, wrapped himself in it and said, lords and ladies. And that's, it just all started there. Holy shit. It's just like a, a natural response to trying something out and then it becomes an ongoing motif or just a thing he returns to a lot. Yeah. So funny. He was also famous for a couple of gags, mm-hmm. um, one of which was um, he went to a show of Sinatra's with a bunch of his friends um, and I think Sinatra was friends with him okay. and it was at the Waikiki Hotel or something uh-huh. and um, Buckley and his friends all went to the show naked and it really pissed off Sinatra so that was the end of that. <laughs> but um, there's another great story about him playing in a, a mob joint in Chicago uh-huh. and there being a bunch of mob guys there with their girlfriends and he asked them to bring up their fur coats all the girlfriends and he made a pile of them on the stage and he took lighter fluid and, and he doused them with lighter fluid and he lit them and he said thank you very much and he went out the back door and took a train <laughs> to New York Fuck. and the 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 mob guys thought that it was so ballsy they let him off the hook you know he just thought it was you know, it was great you wow. can't you can't go you have to go completely all the way with that. Yeah, that's it's wow. like it's like um, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yes. right. You know, that's my but, first thought, I guess. Yeah, um, it, it, and if you talk to a lot of comedians like Robin Williams, mm-hmm. obviously, and um, I remember talking to Tom Smothers about uh, Buckley. It's fun when you meet old comics, mm-hmm. or, or you know, not necessarily old, but mm-hmm. people who know him. Mm-hmm. You know, he really is one of those guys who's a comedian's comedian. Please flipped and grooved. By this very, very gracious group of lords and ladies here at the Marquis de Mupo's swinging palace of joy. Like I explained to you before, I'm a people worshiper. I think people should worship people. I really do. I went out uh, looking for God the other day and I, I couldn't pin him. <laughs> So I figured uh, if I couldn't find him, I'd look for his stash, his great lake of love that holds the whole world in gear. And uh, when I finally found it, I had the great pleasure of finding that the people were the gardens of it. Dig that. So with my two times two is four, I figured that people were guarding the stash of love known as God. Then when people swing in beauty, they become little gods and goddesses. And I know a couple of them myself personally, and I know you do too. I think people should worship people. I like to worship something I can see, something I can get my hands on, get my brains on. I 
I don't know about that Jehovah cat. I can't reach him. It's so weird because I, I, I it, when I listen to it, 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 it's just so weird because it, it first sort of strikes you as strictly performance art. So it's one of those things that seems to walk that line like Andy Kaufman did, uh, just to bring up that parallel again. Uh, I don't. Is he a stand-up comic or or, or a monologist <laughs> what, what or performance him? artist? Like I was wondering that earlier when we were talking about if he's hanging out at jazz clubs, he's getting on stage there in between musicians. Do you oh, say right. comedian? Do you say or you artist? Just say do you Lord say Buckley? Or do you just? Say, I think you just. <laughs> yeah, I Buckley. don't know what he was billed billed as. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good question. And I mean, I, I, I know. I guess it doesn't matter in the long run, but I'm always right. Curious but it, how it's curious. At the time, you know. Because you, you you can be very surprised because, I mean, initially when I, you know, I, I took you to be a performer in a kid's show, you know, and then eventually right. you start to be more aware that, holy shit, this guy does right. stuff that I would love to do. Right, same thing. Political satire and, like, puppetry, for fuck's sake, I would love to do puppetry. But um, what, um, can we, do you want to talk, I'd, I'd like to talk about some of the stuff that you've done outside of, of Beekman's world because I think uh-huh. that's what people are more familiar with. Well, I, I came up in the Bread and Puppet Theater, which is a like a anarchist um, puppet theater that started 50 years ago, like the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. It's our 50th anniversary this year. And um, it's kind of a neo-German expressionist uh, aesthetic mm-hmm. and very, very political, anarchist, uh, Marxist. So anyway, I came up in that, and it's well-known in the East Coast, actually internationally very well-known as an avant-garde American theater company. Okay. And so I, I was in the Bread and Puppet Theater, and I still work up there in the summer times. Um, we have this geezer week where all the geezers, you know, the old farts who were around in the in the 70s and shit get together and work on shows. But uh, so I, I learned a couple things there, which was, you know, puppetry, puppets. That mm-hmm. was really interesting to me because the possibilities are endless. Sure. You can do anything with puppets. And... Um, and also the whole idea of making a living from touring, which yeah. is what Bread and Puppet does. They don't apply or accept for any grants. Or wow. It's all earned income. Holy crap. You know, which is really unusual for yeah. a theater yeah. company. Yeah. And there's no real fundraising. There's no you know, money board or any of that kind mm-hmm. of crap. It's all just going on the road and making money and bringing it home. Making money as an avant-garde, doing anything unusual. Just yeah. seems so wow. unlikely nowadays. So th- that model became my model mm-hmm. in terms of how I make a living. You know, I tour mm-hmm. and do shows. and Yeah. Um, that's sort of what I came up doing. So it's what I stuck to doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, it, also the, the political end of it was really interesting to me mm-hmm. that, uh, Peter, you know, on the shows that he's done, um, and I wanted to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was really inspired by Buckley yeah. and also, um, Alexander Calder, okay. his circus, which is at, um, the Whitney Museum, and mm-hmm. which their um, recordings again might be on YouTube. But okay. he he has a circus, circus animals and and circus performers made out of wire and and junk and they're awesome. uh, automata. So they do tricks, you know. Awesome. And um, you know, Calder's the mobile guy. Okay, right. right, right. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, that was a huge inspiration because he does the little show and his wife plays the record and and he would do the gags and the gimmicks and, and you know it was just so great. It's amazing. Um, how how did you discover Buckley and Calder? Uh, well, Calder I knew about you know as a kid. Um, I went to high school briefly at a school where there was one of his mobiles hanging in the in the really? the dining room. Cool. Um, 
And, you know, I, I was a big art fan when I was a kid, mm -hmm. so I, I knew his work from going to the museum. Uh, Buckley, a friend of mine from, I went to hippie college in Vermont, like uh -huh. a, a total hippie. I mean, forget about it. You wouldn't even believe me if I told you stories about Solsperia. But uh, there's a buddy of mine there who is actually one of the one of the best impressionists of Buckley and does a Buckley show, awesome. um, Tom Kalanya. And he turned me on to uh, Buckley mm -hmm. back then. And we, we eventually had a comedy group together and did a bunch of crap together. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what your question was. What was your... <laughs> You're talking oh, you want about, to know about Buckley's inspiration, right? Oh yeah, that and just, then generally what kind of got you interested in political satire? What specifically gears you? Like what? Where? What? What? Pardon me. What your political satire ends up geared toward? Well, um, I the thing about Bread and Puppet was really cool. Is it's mm -hmm. like like I said, it's a very strong sort of German expressionist yeah. aesthetic to it, and. Um, which I, I love German Expressionism mm -hmm. and that whole time period, the Weimar period, really interesting sure. shit that went down yeah. and, and great puppets, you know, the Dadists, um, mm -hmm. um, what's Sophie Taub or Taubner and, uh, Paul Clay made beautiful puppets. Okay. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, beautiful puppets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> What what did you ask me? I just sorry. Yeah, I mean, I ask really convoluted questions sometimes. <clears throat> I don't yeah, think, no, I I, I get simple. I go on such tangents. Kind of, it's okay. What kind of political? I mean, how do you say it? What it, interests you? As far as political satire, like in, in what's it geared toward? Is there a specific thing? Is it is it's like uh, you know some people are geared towards sexual identity. Some people are geared toward you know uh, inequality, social contract government. Right. Yeah, you know. Well, I've done shows about. Um, being gay, I do mm -hmm. a Punch and Judy uh, show called Punch and Jimmy, <laughs> where Punch is married to this hot young guy, and, you know, <laughs> and they adopted a baby, and you know, Punch kills a baby by mistake, and it's all the same. It's the same as Punch and Judy, right. but it's you know, the, instead of the the constable or whatever mm -hmm. from London, it's an LAPD guy from the Ramparts Division, Holy you know, shit. and he beats Punch mm -hmm. and he shoots him and all that. <laughs> And then the hangman, and you know, Punch kills everybody in the show. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. He kills the cop, and then the um, the hangman comes to hang him for the death of the baby mm -hmm. and the cop, and he kills the hangman with his own noose, and he kills death, and he kills the <laughs> devil, and you know, that's the end. So it's a gay version of that. That's awesome. Um, and then I had a show. Because um, one of the things I'm interested in doing is trying to master every form of puppetry that yeah. there is, which is a, an idiotic and um, self-aggrandizing goal, <laughs> sure, but I don't really give a shit. Yeah. And so I did a, an adaption of a, an Arabic and Turkish and Greek puppet tradition called Katagoz. Okay. And um, that was also a gay theme show where Katagoz was this gay artist who lived in Syria, mm -hmm. oddly enough with his boyfriend and then his enemies became the secret service in Syria oh, and then okay. the Israelis and then Al Qaeda and then Homeland Security mm -hmm. and the Minutemen and he was sort of chased around the world and it was called the mother of all enemies. Okay. Um, and it was a defense, sort of a spirited defense of um, secular humanism actually. That's awesome. Um, and then I've, I'm known for doing found objects like mm -hmm. just junk and you know, packaging material, toys, mm -hmm. whatever kind of objects, yeah. and then animating them as characters in little hyperactive puppet plays. That's cool. And that's, um, it was really influenced by um, the pop art movement, which was oh, yeah. a big deal when I was a kid and I was mm -hmm. really into it. Klaus Oldenburg particularly. Um, 
and of course it's all Duchamp, you know, it all goes back mm-hmm. to his, mm-hmm. his shtick. But, um, and then I do toy theater, overhead projection, shadow theater, uh, contestoria with drawn pictures and photographs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I do government document exposés, or I have done them. Uh-huh. Um, and also industrial brochures, like about food processing, I had uh-huh. a whole show. Um, so there's a lot of different media I'm you, interested in. and mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you break down a, a found object, like, on the one hand, you're talking about animating a found object, and then you're talking about a different type, you're talking about breaking down an industrial, you take an industrial brochure, some kind of found piece like that, and you, and you break a whole show out of that? Yeah, yeah, like, I had a show about various military, um, uh, military publications. Okay. So there was the U.S., um, uh, was the military and, uh, Dictionary. I don't remember the title. Okay. It was a military dictionary. It was used by the Pentagon. And one of the definitions in, in it was for a nominal weapon. Uh-huh. And they defined a nominal weapon as a nuclear weapon with a yield of um, approximately 50 kilotons. Okay. Now, what's interesting about that as satire is uh-huh. that you must have had linguists working on a dictionary. Right. Linguists who didn't get the irony of calling a nuclear weapon nominal, right. nominal meaning right. insignificant. Yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's, Christ. so is that and a whole lot of other stuff about uh, weapons and procurement and accidents involving nuclear weapons. Yeah. Had a show about indoor pollution, mm-hmm. um, uh, Three Mile Island, um, population growth. I mean, yeah. you know, so I've you, made. You, you really covered a full gamut. Like you, there's, yeah. there's a lot that you wanted wanted to do that like, it, you'd like to explore. And I've been doing it a long time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Seemed like every time I found myself in the bind, I always, uh, nothing mystic came to help me. Some man or some woman stepped up there and said, we'll help you, we'll do this, we'll do that. That's the way it looks to me. So uh, recently on the San Bedou freeway, I got hung up in an old, Junker car going to Las Vegas, Nevada. Right in the middle of the freeway during the rush hour, it conked out. Cars, uh, 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 got a weak clutch. Cat, whoop, but you don't let him, don't step out. Oh, it was a madhouse, like having lunch in the middle of the Indianapolis freeway. <laughs> About three days went by, and finally along came God. <laughs> There was two of them. There was a big God and a little God. <laughs> they didn't know me from uh, from out. But they pushed and they pulled and they tugged and they twisted and they yanked and they, they gave me every possible assistance in the world and finally got me on my way. Haven't seen them since. But I, I think that people, I hope I haven't offended your religious beliefs, but I, I think that people should worship people. Is it more fulfilling to do it that way rather than stick maybe to one theme, which it seems a lot of satirists like to do? Uh, I just get I get tired of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to be doing gay puppet shows the rest of my life. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I've, I feel like I've sort of beaten that one to death, so okay. I'll move on to whatever the next thing is. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in trying to develop means of storytelling, particularly with pictures, mm-hmm. like to do... Uh, PowerPoint slash keynote presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, really? You know, which is a very kind of standard thing. It was done on television all the sure, time, sure, you know, but... with a, a, um, a commentator and then a screen behind them showing imagery. Mm-hmm. It's an old, you know, and it's, yeah. it's 
the oldest one of the oldest performance techniques performing with pictures sure but you like to mess with it in the form of 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 keynote or like on on a, on a macbook today and you you able to do sort of what you do in that format it's just a slideshow you know okay. that that's all there is to it i mean you can do all kinds of fancy stuff with those programs but really it's just a slideshow yeah and i would keep doing slides because i You know, that's how I started with these things was Mm -hmm. I did slides, but I also did paper videotape, which is a scroll of paper with illustrations on it. Mm -hmm. And you unscroll it and the pictures go by that are drawn on the paper. Mm -hmm. So it's like super low tech, you know, paper videotape or whatever. Um, And then flip over stories like where you draw, you paint images and you flip them over and you know mm-hmm. the, thousands of years old this technique and yeah. it's yeah. it was the precursor to film and television mm-hmm. because that's storytelling with pictures sure. and it's called contastoria in italian itoki in japanese mm-hmm. bankelzong in german and there was a wonderful thing at, at getty um about a year ago where you've got all of the um the way that the monks would would illustrate the scripture um, and then they would show it as um, sequential picture, uh, sequential pictures as storytelling art. That's kind of and awesome. then breaks it down to in the modern day, it's a graphic novel, but even further back, it's Egyptian hieroglyphics. And I, I love that. Cool. I think what you're talking about drawing the theme through through all of those, expressing the same kind of thing. The book that's written about Kanta's story is called Film Before Film. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think when you're, it, it, it was a, Kanta's story was a, um, a tradition was revived by Bread and Puppet, mm-hmm. where he would do flip over stories with giant woodcuts on, on cloth. And um, there's been a resurgence of it, and a lot of us in Bread and Puppet do Contestoria. But it's a really interesting place to come from when you make a film. It's mm-hmm. when you've yeah. done Contestoria and then you make film, right. uh, <laughs> you're thinking about storytelling with pictures. And I, I don't know anything about making films. Um, but I've made a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, they must really say something for the work. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I find that interesting, the difference between, um, say, you, you, you approach making a, a video or a film script-wise, I think, maybe. You know, there's a story or I think there's some interesting scene I want to do or some interesting yeah. character work. Um, and, and I feel like I don't hear that discussion a lot with, with maybe people I know in, in that kind of media creation, mm-hmm. it, breaking it down simply in terms of storytelling with pictures. I find that really interesting. Oh, that's it's, – it's missing. I mean that's the one thing maybe that film school gave me at all was, was an appreciation for that. Yeah. And everybody I know in film school – not everybody. I mean they – you sort of ditch it for wanting to write screenplays, unfortunately. You know, it's, yeah. you're thinking in words first rather than trying to – you know, maybe write, draw something out, you know, that, yeah, it's, I am more inclined in the visual direction. And when I, I was one of the writers on the Dante's Inferno film Mm -hmm. that we made of Sandow Burke's, uh, artwork, we did a, uh, toy theater version, um, or a live graphic novel version of Dante's Inferno using Sandow Burke, the, the, Mm -hmm. um, Long Beach based painter. And, um, it was interesting, you know, you I, I'm not that interested in filmmaking, uh-huh. uh, but it was fun to do the project. And, you know, when you go into an edit session, you'd never been in one before. Yeah. Uh, my thing was like, well, I don't know anything about editing and how would I know? And after five minutes, I was going, can you pull that up a couple of Right, minutes? exactly. You, know, you, you could get it down to the second. Yeah. Because you, you know, 
you know, there's something yeah. sort of, I mean, we've all been trained to a certain extent sure. by watching TV and film. Of course. Um, to, you know, know where the cut should go. Yeah. Sure. And I, then you're, you're naturally putting your own style on that, your own taste. Um, so you were involved with the writing of it. Um, and then, and then now I'm interested how, how often, how much did you sit in the editing room? Uh, not much on that film. Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, I, I have on other projects, um, but I don't, I don't think I did on that film. I mean, the way the film, the, the script is like 190 pages long and we shot it, it was only 60 minutes long, okay. but it was because the description of scenes, what the visuals needed to look like <laughs> in the frame had to be very, very detailed. Yes. Because Sandow was drawing those pictures mm-hmm. to fit the thing. Okay. And I realized I really needed to describe everything in the frame in order for it to work. That's incredible. That's <laughs> yeah. I, that's unheard of in, in anybody I else. I, and I think that's perfect. That that gets across exactly what, what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, the only thing that wasn't cool was we only had an hour, so we had to write more right. scenes and, uh-huh. and reshoot. But uh, yeah, it was really fun. It was it was a fun project, and it got me into toy theater, and it's what I'm doing now. Yeah, um, I'm doing a show called White Like Me, a hunky dory puppet show, <laughs> and it's uh, two parts: it's a ventriloquist section. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having old school vent dummy, mm-hmm. and then a toy theater projected video toy theater about uh, called um, The Adventures of White Man. <laughs> and it's about the trials and tribulations of being a Caucasian male in the <laughs> planet Earth. Oh, shit. So that's what I'm playing. I'm gonna play in L.A. actually in February, late February. Really? At uh, Bootleg. Awesome. Where yeah. is that? Oh my God. It's on Beverly near Alvarado. Oh, cool. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you, did you, it's funny because when I talk to people, usually I think the expectation is people talk about, well, I started in theater, like just as an actor in theater, I started as a stand-up. You, I've never spoken to anybody who started as a puppeteer, as an artist, as somebody who works with their hands, but who also went on to do something that's pretty iconic from a period and to obviously be such a, a good physical actor and comic actor. What about puppeteering I know we're I know we're totally veering off of Buckley but what about puppeteering and stuff informed you as an actor then physically without anything in your hands well I I think um it's not that big a deal to put the puppet down and whatever you're doing with the puppet just do it yourself yeah yeah you know I mean with puppets you're imitating life in some way sure and so when you're doing it I don't know you're living life I it just doesn't seem that complicated to me um the on Beekman's world, the, the thing that was I was lucky to have was once the writers realized I could do a few different characters, they wrote a lot of different characters in the yeah, show. Yeah. And they were dead guys from science or something. It was cool. yeah. <laughs> and um, so I would do that shtick. Right. Uh, and that was really, you know, Italian accent, French accent, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they, you know, I mean, they got, they didn't really get an actor out of it. They got more of a performance artist kind of guy. Okay. Or a, the way a lot of contemporary comedians are, who are very versatile and sure. can do all this different stuff. Um, I guess I'm blowing my own horn. I should watch what I'm saying. <laughs> we asked. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we absolutely asked. Did, did you, um, I guess we'll get back to vinyl for a second. Did you make any friends over comedy or ever like listening to records or anything? Cause I, I find it's becoming more and more rare to some of the people I speak to. And I'm just curious for me, it was a big thing. And that's why I always ask, like I made a lot of friends over just listening to records and tapes. Yeah. I think the Buckley albums, we would sit around and get stoned and listen to those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, also the Woody Allen 
mm-hmm. the uh, album Stand Up Comic was yeah. a big one with m- my friends. When I was a kid, we listened to the Button Up Mind of um, mm-hmm. Bob Newhart, oh, and so uh, it was around the time when Khrushchev came to the States. You know, he did uh-huh. one shtick about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember seeing Khrushchev on the Long Island Expressway going by. And, That's awesome. Yeah. It was, so anyway, wow. my dad had that album. We listened <laughs> to that shit. And, um, and you know, then Richard Pryor came along, and that, that shit blew my mind. It was really I bet. great. I bet. And uh, Robin Williams. I do. I really do. I like to put a little sound down on uh, Boothby, Lord Boothby. He's an eminent British philosopher and humorist. He came up with a great strong line. He said that uh, humor is the only solvent of terror and tension. Another great humorist came along, Thurber, and he said that uh, we in America must realize that humor is one of our strongest allies. And I say, is it the duty of the humor of any given nation in time of high crisis to attack the catastrophe that faces it in such a manner as to cause the people to laugh at it in such a way that they do not die before they get killed? Do you, um, I mean, do you, yeah, I guess... Since you're not, you know, you don't do stand-up, I guess it's not maybe as necessary for you to be as up on the world of stand-up or anything, but is there like a particular comic or comedian or satirist now that really hits you that you absolutely love? Uh, um, I, I'm not that, I don't really know what's going on in the comedy world so yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably too much of a chicken shit to actually play a comedy club. Uh-huh. Because it's tough. In, yeah, in, in a comedy club, the audience is in charge. And in a theater, I'm in charge. Sure. Yeah. So if somebody heckles me and it's bringing me down, I just kick them out. And you can't really do that in a, in a comedy club. Right, right. Um, but, and plus, the comedy club is really so much about laughs, mm-hmm. which is fine. Sure. But like listening to Buckley, he's, you know, he does We're talking stuff, ideas. But You're talking so many. The, the laughs are so vivid when they yeah. when they come but you were exploring everything yeah. in order to get there there's there, a lot of listening needed there's a lot of comics who do really great and serious material in that context and i really admire them for yeah. doing that yeah yeah um but it, it sounds to me like what interests you is uh in in the theater you have control over the so much more the experience well the the tech is better the sight lines are better you know i i can't i'm a guy with stuff i have like 200 pounds of shit for every show i drag around and have to set up yeah. comedy clubs don't have backstages they don't they're not well suited for sure. puppet shows there's nowhere to set up you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. just it's not practical um and i you know i don't know the theater is great it can be really great um, cabaret setting can be fun too. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very curious now. Uh, is it, it sounds like you uh, come up with uh, a puppet show? You might tour it for a year, two years, something like that. Yeah, and then feel you know be inspired to move on to another idea. Um, do you uh, revive uh, older ones you've done often or ever? And are there um, I, I guess recordings of any of these? There's some recordings on YouTube. Um, I re- 
I revived one show once, and the Punch and Jimmy show is the only show I have in repertory. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, that one I can drag out any old time yeah. and, um, you know, update it and have some, you know, current jokes or whatever. Yeah. Um, a lot of the shows are just technically too difficult to keep in rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, I'm just not interested. Sure. It's just not yeah. that interesting to me to do it. I mean, the Punch and Jimmy thing is... But I actually want to make new hand puppet shows. Um, I've been going to Brazil a lot to perform, and there's a tradition there of hand puppets that's mm-hmm. really inspired me. So I, I want to see if wow. I can kick out another hand puppet show. That's so cool. Um, it's yeah, it's it, it's so hard for me to come up with a, a succinct set of questions because what you do is so eclectic. But I, as far as Buckley's concerned, if you were to do something, if you were to do something without puppets, do you do you expect that you would do something? even remotely similar to my, something he might... Yeah, that, that's what I picture, is that you standing up and doing a character and being a human puppet. And that that's... Is, do you have any idea what you would do if it was without puppet? What kind of performance are you like? Well, I, I think... Um, first of all, I've, I've ripped Lord Buckley off um, in ways that, like, one of the writers of Beekman's World came and saw me in a show mm-hmm. called 2222, which was about the future. Uh-huh. And he said, you're channeling Lord Buckley. Uh-huh. And he didn't say you're, you know, I'm not copying him, but there, I have one persona, mm-hmm. like host kind of persona, mm-hmm. where I just play as if I'm Buckley. Okay. Uh, especially the lords and ladies, the English bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's a piece called The Train, mm-hmm. where he does a lot of sound effects and different voices. Okay. And the ending to that... Um, there's a phrase at the ending which I put in my show. So there, there are tributes and shit to Buckley, like, and people who who know Buckley will see, you know, the influence. Sure. And I, I like your use of the word channeling and like a like little bits of tribute or homage because it doesn't sound like um, it, it, you said ripping off. It doesn't sound like ripping off. It <laughs> sounds like just sort of what we were talking about earlier about when a musician covers a song right. or or just doing a new iteration. What I what I see is passing it along, as as experiencing the work and, and passing it along. Because um, the, the way I, I came to uh, be introduced to Buckley, had, we're, we're talking to you about your performance art. We're talking about Buckley as what people can classify as a comedian or, or a monologist. But I came to him as as influence on musicians like Dylan or Tom Waits and how if we, we can find like some kind of characteristic or some kind of spirit that I think is embodied in, in all of it. So I find that interesting how yeah. it, it, it transcends that. I think the thing about him is it's, he's so anarchistic and so free and so out there, mm-hmm. you know, he would give you the shirt off his back. He would give you money. You needed money. He would also take money and not pay people back. <laughs> you know, he was a real free spirit. He was a real flower child. Yeah. And if you listen to the, you know, H bomb, and the philosophy in that, it's very, like, pre-hippie. Yeah. And those were in the beat days. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't playing the beat, you know. It, it was interesting about him is the extent that he had crossover. Mm-hmm. Like the City Light bookstore run by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the, the great beat poet and, and bookstore owner. Uh-huh. They published a series of his routines in book form. Really? And that was, like, beat culture. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. in the, the part of town in San Francisco, um that was the beat part of town. I don't remember what it's called, okay. like North Beach or South or something like that. Um, so he did have crossover into that scene, yeah. but he really came from a very commercial place. Right. So it's sort of interesting. 
It is you know. odd to me because uh, I guess my picture of the beat era, I mean, I, I knew it was trained by one beat author. who's a very nice guy, but he, like a lot of them, had this um, this bubbling cynicism underneath that always seemed to, to tint most of the beat culture to me. I mean, obviously, it was a lot about being bohemian, being an artist, loving, very, like you said, very pre-hippie, but there's still a bubbling cynicism, and I just don't hear that in anything that Buckley does. Right. What the hell do you think that is? Yeah, I, I have no no idea. <laughs> it's hard, I think, to be a satirist or to be a comedian or to do anything humorous and not have that little layer of cynicism underneath. Right. So that's 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 what's odd to me. That I guess it's not totally odd that he would be embraced by the hipster scene of, of the time. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know where yeah. I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was more inclined because of his background to play in in clubs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not that I mean, you know, I think there were less sort of distinctions then too. Sure. Um, he played theaters. He played the Ivar, you know, in really? Hollywood. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have what? What are some of your other favorite tracks? Since we've kind of stuck mostly with H Bomb and what's on here. Well, like, the train and and train. Governor Slingwell Slugwell. How does that Thank work? you, my friends. <laughs> Yay, Governor Slugwell! Bam, 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 bam! Ribbity, bibbity, bibbity, boom, boom. Um. <laughs> All of that stuff on top of you, you know, and get, it just w. sounds fun. That's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he creates like a landscape, a soundscape. Yeah. And uh, Governor Slugwell is uh, one of my favorite routines. I like the ones where he plays a lot of different characters and uses the sound effects. Yeah. Um, he had this way of blowing, like making a horn sound yeah, effect. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you and about next. <laughs> I have no idea how he does it. Yeah. And I've tried to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always wondered if that guy, Fred, um, I'm blanking on his name. The the guy who does the sound effects on um, um, Garrison Keillor's show. Oh yeah, Fred yeah, yeah. Newman, mm -hmm. who made a book called Mouth Sounds. Really, um, I worked with him oh, on a right. pilot many years ago on uh, PBS. But he's a really gifted guy, and he does the sound effects on um, Garrison Keillor. The um, whatever that show. Prairie Home. Yeah, and um, he would know how to do it. Yeah, it was a combination <laughs> of singing and sort of mouth farting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very delicate sounding because at first it's is, is he doing a mouth fart but nope it's it's a little more musical than that yeah but it, my, my my fiance and i were listening to it and the whole time she was just she would just would be brought out of it for a split second because she she couldn't not hear that because <laughs> it's just, but it punctuates really beautifully and it, it keeps you interested um his, the problem with Buckley in today is that mm -hmm. his the language is very archaic yes yeah sometimes it gets so deep into hipster lingo oh, that yeah. it, it you almost need a translation yeah. that was the first thing i found when i was trying to look it up was translation offers um, yeah the, the one yeah i think we both i think you said you had trouble with the ballad of dan mcgrew yourself and that, that it's, it's long it's 10 minutes of holy fuck what is he saying and yeah I, yeah it, it, you can you can feel like like the, the first time you're, you're trying it out i can it's like sure. it's like some of like your favorite movies. Mm -hmm. I, I had to watch them a few times before I fully understood. Sure. Is I can I can feel a lot of the energy and I can um, maybe I, with I can some imagine. immersion. But yeah, there's a lot of things where I feel like I, I, I trail off in what he's saying. So I figure I'm going to take a billion dollars next month. I'm going to start a big swinging program over the television, over the radio, in the newspapers. Get all the funny papers. All the people have anything to do with humor. And I'm going to start out a big elongated eight-month campaign against the gas of all time, the bomb. The great, the great spear of humor against the bomb. A ribbity tip, zip, zip, and a ring, ding, ding, against the bomb. All kinds, all ways, all slides, all, all sides, 
against the bomb, a great big elongated program through the air by, uh, by um, billboards, by little ones, by big ones, till eventually, you mention H-bomb or something. H-bomb. <laughs> 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 I heard a story about an H-bomb the other day. There was a couple of H-bombs. <laughs> They missiles, they said. Whistle your thistle, here comes the missile. <laughs> and also just the dynamics of it. and the, the, the recordings on this album are interesting because you know, there's clearly like maybe 30 people in the audience. Right. And there's three or four of them, these guys, who like laugh a lot, yeah, really laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, I just can't imagine what it must have been like to see the guy mm-hmm. live. No, I don't know. There's like a couple. Well, there's one guy you can hear. I think in every recording, he's got the same he's, laugh. He's got the same yeah. laugh. And then there's, a, but there's, a, there's a guy who just keeps saying, "Yeah, that's it," or something like. He keeps like confirming, like out right. loud. He's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's it." You like, can, you can just feel like I'm like, what space? What, what clubs or venues are like that today? I, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I don't know what they are. I'm pretty sure I heard a Jesus Christ in there too. Somebody who's so blown. A away. guy said at one of the end of the routines. I think it was the Marquis de Sade one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just hear his voice at the end. And he goes, "That's beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's really cool." Oh, that's good. One of the things that fascinates me about it, of of, of the, the the performance art style of telling these these epic stories and doing his interpretation of them, and really the 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 color and the flavor has a lot to do with the words he used and his style and his soundscapes, um, as as being a very performance based medium and that is exactly what you do and and so something i'm i'm curious about is how you in particular uh, approach the writing process to that because there's one thing being in a room by yourself and thinking i have an idea i want to express and then there's uh being able to communicate that physically and verbally and i was wondering what your process is like in writing your shows it really depends on what medium i'm working in um, if I'm doing a puppet show, I usually try to figure out what the hell I want it to be about and some theme because I can't build the puppets until I know who's in the show. Sure. So generally I come up with an idea for a story or whatever and then and figure out what cast I need to make and then make the puppets. And then, uh, I, I mean, I know it sounds idiotic, but the characters sort of write themselves. Sure. If you, mm-hmm. you know, if you talk to actors or improv people, they'll tell you, you know, if you really inhabit a character, it will write its own material right. that there's some autonomous part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so in rehearsal, a lot of times the puppets write their own lines. You know, mm-hmm. I just get in the character and they go back and forth and ad lib a lot. Right. And that's how the script ah, gets written. But you so can awesome. also do that just in your head. You can sure. sit around, yeah. which is what I think screenwriters do. They, do, they just yeah. hear conversations in their head and mm-hmm. they write them down. It's so much more fun to do it actively. I feel like because when really? I, when I when I write anyway, I li- I will literally. I was recording myself on a phone yesterday, coming up with sketches, but I had to do both character voices. It you know, I write I write much easier that way. And exactly. So, like I I can think of an idea, but actually expressing it is so much easier. Say like I'm doing improv on stage or something. Sure. It, it's that it's that bouncing off of thing that actual getting it out of your head that I feel makes it crystallize a lot better. I feel like having a puppet would be a much better visual guide though. Well, the thing that's interesting about improv is improv shows that you see and improv as a practice is um, largely a group practice. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's about two or more people, you know, listening, 
and playing and you know mm-hmm. really listening and trying to float something and that solo improv isn't like that right uh because everything is coming from my own feeded brain <laughs> so you know you know what i mean yes, I it's do. like yeah. um I, I mean i guess i have to listen to myself but and there's a lot of fake ad lib you know the performers do and I'll do it like I'll do an ad lib in a show mm-hmm. and I'll think oh that's a good set piece and I'll put it in the show and sometimes it'll just be like text in the show but sometimes it'll be I'll play it so it's a fake ad lib it mm-hmm. seems like I just made it up okay, on the spot right. yeah. and that doesn't always work it's um, an art in itself yeah <laughs> and after time sometimes it'll just suck or whatever <laughs> but if you see Robin Williams you know and he goes in the audience and, and a guy's wearing a cowboy hat and somebody else is wearing a beret or whatever and he takes the hats and he puts them on his head and he does shtick with them mm-hmm. um, you know he does ad lib a lot but he also has a trunk at home with hats sure. in it so <laughs> yeah. you know he'll whip them out and you know right shtick with those those things yeah i think one of the things interesting about being a comedian is is that your your mind can get on the tip of constantly thinking of things as funny Mm -hmm. and you kind of get a a muscle going right where your brain is constantly looking for something funny you hear people talking you see a situation and constantly you're looking for the gag or the joke in it right and the cool thing about getting older is that it really has become like a skill yeah like uh, you know it just happens sort of automatically in my head and (laughs) i I love that i think it's really great (laughs) yeah that's something i kind of i i I, it's been a muscle to train i i you know, I've never actually asked anybody on this this on the podcast, so I, I would like it's a it's kind of a typical question, but I would be curious to think what you think. Um, I've heard people like some of my heroes, like Mel Brooks, say that you're born funny, so you're born with the capacity for humor. Do you think it's you something that, that you can be trained that can be trained into you that you can learn? I, I always wonder what people think about that. Yeah, I I don't know. You don't know? I have no idea. No. I mean, there's no way we can know, but I, a lot of people have, you know, people have their own perceptions that, you know, you have right. to be born with it. Because, uh, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I know I taught myself. Like you say, it's a muscle, you know. Right. So yeah. I, I feel like I wanted to be funny as a kid, and I taught myself. I, I studied humor in a very dull, dry way. And I think I'm okay. I think, so, I think you know, you're fine. Uh, All right, thank you. I'm fine. I, I, think it, I think it's interesting because you certainly can gain something from studying it in that dry way. You certainly mm-hmm. certainly want to. Like when you find the, 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 the first stuff you love, you, you want to you immerse yourself in it. Mm-hmm. And you – I don't know. I just – I was just reciting Monty Python sketches sure. to myself doing all, you know. And eventually that translates into being in front of a group of people and being present and mm-hmm. – I, I, what you said about a muscle memory, I, I feel like I get better at it the more I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um, saw Victor Borger when I was a kid, and I think I was like 10 or something. My uh-huh. grandmother was really into him. Mm-hmm. And he was a um, Danish or Swedish guy who did kind of um, like – it was sort of intellectual mm-hmm. shtick. I mean – I, I, I mean I sort of would make the analogy with Spalding Gray. Uh-huh. Yeah. Spalding Gray played – performance venues when he started out um but then graduated to theaters and um um what's his name uh the scandinavian guy victor borga when i saw him you know i was just a little kid but i was really taken by the gimmickry and you know the shtick that the guy did and i copied it and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it um 
so he was, and you know, it's like Spalding. I mean, Spalding shit was really funny, mm-hmm. but he was never, you know, really a comedian. He was really a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. That was his shtick. And his shtick was all about telling stories about himself. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, since, since we should, uh, I don't want to take any more of your time. What I usually ask people before we ask them to plug their stuff and all that good stuff is um, why would you, maybe not this album in particular, let's stick with Buckley, but if somebody who hasn't heard of Buckley, doesn't know anything about him, is new to comedy, what would you say to them to get you, get them to listen to it? Why, why is he important to listen to as far as you're concerned? Uh, I, the only people who I, I suggested <laughs> to is puppeteers. Yeah. You know, I tell them, look, you want to learn how to get dynamics and do voice separation mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Buckley's the go-to guy. I don't know anybody else who does that, right. who does those dynamics. And I just wanted to have puppets that would do that. Mm-hmm. So that's the inspiration. That's, you know, those are the people who I go to. Say, puppeteers, listen to this. And most of the time, they're like, the fuck is this? They yeah. don't, yeah. you know, a lot of people just don't don't relate to it. Sure. Um, but anybody interested in comedy or satire, any of that stuff, yeah, you want to turn on to it. I was very lucky that I, I got to listen to the guy and, you know, loved his shit and copied it and, you know, so yeah, I love the Lord. What the hell? Yeah. And he hears songs like way down deep in the Ural mountains, far behind the Iron Curtain, Ivan, and the lads are flirting with uranium, uranium is not geranium, I'm here that you know. But will you lose your egg plum when the atomic bomb comes your way? Bubbles, red, 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 red. Do you think you'll be gas when you hear that big blast on the highway? Pom, 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 pom. When everything goes up, and then comes down, and 52nd Street just can't be found, and Symphony Mother said, is history now the next scene is a Kremlin <laughs> it's so I, and I think any, honestly I think it, it's a good it, it's something to, good to listen to for actors in general that that kind of quick shift is such an incredible skill again it's a muscle thing that uh, I think it's good for actors good for improvisers storytellers and uh, storytellers for sure of yeah. course yeah 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 I mean it, and writers to be able to <laughs> it's, he's to doing all this of it we just, we just said all of it he's right. doing all of it yeah to, to do to take that template of something that you've heard before a million times keep it familiar but completely change the words around is a ridiculous writing skill too I don't know how he put his material together but that's, it's ridiculous and I don't know how you do that yeah his process was uh I'm not. I don't know a lot about. It. I mean, I've uh-huh. read the book about him, Dig Infinity, oh. okay. which is a, a great book if you can find it out there. It has a CD in the back, and it's all about Buckley. And I'm interviewed in it, and awesome. Tom Kalanya, and you know, uh, Robin Williams, and all these a lot of comedians. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dig Carlin. Infinity. Yeah, it's called Dig Infinity, okay. um, and it's by um, uh, the name uh, Oliver Traeger is okay. the guy who, who uh, wrote it, and he's one of the hardcore Buckley freaks uh-huh. um but it has all these great stories in there and plus a cd of his his work so you can you know 
That's awesome. But I would look on Alibris yeah. for one of those. Okay, I would definitely make sure and put a link to that. Um, let's plug some stuff. Like, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Any of that good crap? Uh, yeah, I have. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big... You don't have to be. I'm not really good at writing haikus, and that right. seems like what it's all about. It's so true. Um, and some people are really apt at it. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, that guy, um, the late night uh, talk show host, the tall Ferguson. One. No, the the tall oh, Conan? guy, Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He's he his tweets are good. really good. Yeah. They They're are really good. Steve Martin is incredible at it. Yeah, I'm very surprised, but yeah, he's quite good. I mean, yeah. I'm not surprised that he's good. But you no, know, but it's it's funny that. because it's it's it's. It's pretty new, and you didn't expect it. Mm-mm. And yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as plugging anything, it would yes. be great if people who live in LA want to show up to White Like Me, which will be at the Bootleg Theater, the last three weeks of uh, of February. February is yeah. it bootlegtheater.com? Do you know what the website is? I have no top idea. Your head? I'll look it up. That's My fine. website is paulzaloon.com, yes. and maybe someday I'll have uh, some information about that show. <laughs> um, at the bootleg, I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna try to do it this weekend. So. That'd be good. Um, and I, I will just ask because obviously I'm interested. Have you? <clears throat> I mean, I went to the Beekman Live website. So, when was the last time did you do a, a Beekman Live? And are you still doing them? Yeah, I do. Um, I do a show right now, which I'm touring in the states mm-hmm. and in Canada, called Beekman on the Brain. Okay. And it's a it's a live science show about neuroscience where I use toy theater mm-hmm. and my drawings and live act live video yeah. and contest you know all of this yeah. stuff that's so cool and um, so that's what I'm touring in the states when I go to Brazil mm-hmm. where Beekman is a huge star in Brazil like, like hugely popular oh, there sure. of course it showed in um, prime time like five days a week really and yeah <laughs> the fans are, are fanatical well done um, <sighs> Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. So I've been there a few times, and mm-hmm. I I want to tour the um, an earlier show, mm-hmm. kind of a generic science show called Beekman Live, and that's I, what I, I want to take to Brazil. I saw a Beekman in person you did in Boston in '07, I believe. Huh? Yeah, earlier '07, and it was it was it was really fun. That would have uh, killed me, man. I was I'm I'm just curious. Were you fascinated by science as a kid? Uh, natural science, yeah. Like what was going on in the woods. And how that all worked was um, has always been really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time in Vermont as a kid and as an adult, and running around in the woods and you know doing stuff. Uh, and so things about the natural world, about trees, where they grow, how they grow, yeah. a life cycle in the woods, and you know animals like the beavers and their symbiotic relationship with birds and with plants, mm-hmm. and you know that yeah. kind of stuff really interested me. Um, but I, you know, that I'm not a scientist and I wasn't trained as a scientist. And mm-hmm. I could sell the material, which was really important, you know, because I yeah. understood it and I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my passions are humor and performing. And um, I love doing the show about neuroscience because it's really interesting. Yeah. You know, this, I'm curious. So, you know, what the hell? It's Do a show about the brain. It's that kind of thing. I, I do think that people should make sure that they value. Uh, putting humor and education together it's it's a time-tested technique to put those two together in that show because i i won't say i hated science as a kid i was a fairly good student but it was shows like like i love the show that made my made me interested Uh kept me interested you know so people should not oh boy frog in my throat people should just make sure that they value that because that's that's it's it's a thing that's uh in the kind of i don't know dwindling a little bit yeah i feel i feel you know yeah 
I, I, I actually I did a short film about dinosaurs a few years ago that I'm pretty damn sure I wouldn't have done if I didn't know Beekman too because it's, it's a little more smart alecky if that's possible but just no puppets um, but yeah I feel like if it wasn't for that you know huh. I probably wouldn't have been able to do that so well um, the the show had a very sort of homemade aesthetic mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the director I named Jay Dubin, um thinks very visually mm-hmm. you know the writers are very word oriented yeah so making having those two marry each other sure. was was challenging but but interesting um and uh you know we you never have any time or any money in hollywood you know it's the same old sob story mm-hmm. so instead of doing like blue screen and have a dinosaur mm-hmm. or some shit we would just use toys you know, mm-hmm. and drag him across the stage with a piece of bailing twine or whatever. Right, right. Or like <laughs> you'd need a duck to fly through the frame. And instead of having a computer-generated duck, you just hot glue, a, you know, a dowel to a, a rubber duck and, you mm-hmm. you know, have it fly through the frame. You see the stick and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. And it so, feels way more sincere. It, it does. Point yeah, it's just low-tech. And people yeah. people are suckered by, those, by that shtick because they've seen the 3D movies. They've seen all this stuff. Sure. And then to see, you know, um, a stick hot hot glued to a rubber chicken is, you know, all of a sudden looks innovative, even though it's like a thousand years old. Right, right. Um, that's, you know, that's why people really like this low-tech sort of shitty puppetry form because it's not real glossy and fancy and it is sort of homemade and idiotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and beautiful. I, <laughs> that is that is a classic way to, to end it, I, I, I think, to call something that you do and love idiotic. That's I mean, that's what we all do. Uh, <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for doing this. Um, everybody, make sure that you don't follow him on Twitter because you're not on Twitter. And But you go to your website. Please go see his show in L.A. Um, and, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening and have a good thing. Yeah, that's for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you, Alex. For and your thank you, time. Jason. And thank you, Paul. This is awesome. <laughs> Khrushchev has just returned from a very big visit, shaking everyone up, rattling the, the rockets and one thing and another. And they give him a big party in the Kremlin and what with Russian benzedrine and, uh, and vodka and one thing and another, he's smashed out. He's in the silk, sacked out with a concrete wig. He's in bad shape. <laughs> and Molly comes in. He says... Kresge, he says, not now, Molly, some other time, please, not now, I'm a very sick man, I cannot talk now. He said, but Molly, something terrible is happening. He said, what, 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 terrible, what, 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 terrible. He said, but the Americans, said, the Americans, what? He said, the Americans are in the street, laughing at the bombs. What? This is terrible news. If we cannot scare them to death, we cannot beat them. Give me a double shot of vodka right away. We get back Poland, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. Hipsters, flipsters, and finger poppin'. That is, knock me your lobes. I came to lay Caesar out, not 
to help you to him. The bad jazz that a cat blows wears long after he's cut out. The groovy is often stashed with their frames. So don't put Caesar down. The swinging Brutus hath laid a story on you that Caesar was hungry for power. If it were so, it was a sad drag, and sadly hath the Caesar cat answered it. Here, with a pass from Brutus and the other brass, for Brutus is a worthy stud, yea, so are they all worthy studs, though their stallions never sleep. I came to wail at Caesar's wake. He was my buddy, and he leveled with me. Yet Brutus digs that he has eyes for power, and Brutus is a solid cat. It is true he hath returned with many freaks in chains, brought them home to Rome, Yea, the looty was booty, and hip the treasury well. Dost thou dig that this was Caesar's groove for the push? When the cats with the empty kicks hath copped out. Yea, Caesar hath copped out too, and cried of a storm to be a world grabber, a stiffer riff must be blown.